It is the greatest story ever told. It is the finest story ever sung. So beautiful and so true. As we stand in this place to honor the word of the Lord, I invite you to take your Bibles and go with me to 1 John chapter 4. We'll spend some time in the entire chapter today, but I'd like for us to begin reading in verse 16. 1 John chapter 4, verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for this Lord's day. We thank you, Lord, that we can come in this room and sing out the truth of the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for life in Jesus, life in the Spirit. We thank you, Lord, that you lead and guide and direct your people. We thank you for your word that yet speaks. And we thank you, Lord, that we can come in this moment and expect you to speak to our hearts because our souls are listening. God, as we open the Bible together this morning, we pray that you'd give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts that are tender, that would receive your word like seed in fertile soil. We pray, Lord, that you'd give us feet to walk quickly to do your will, that you'd strengthen our frame, that our deeds in this earth would be as your own. And Lord, having renewed our hearts, we pray that you would use our lips to speak forth your truth to people you love dearly. This is our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus. We pray together saying, amen and amen. Friends, please be seated. There's a great American philosopher. Her name was Tina Turner. <laughs> and Tina Turner once asked the, the great question, what's love got to do with it? That's quite a question, isn't it? I can imagine the Apostle John sitting down with Tina, and maybe they've had this moment now. I don't know how all of this works, but I can imagine John sitting down with Tina in response to that question saying, Tina, it's got everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. Uh, but Tina, you got to understand that God defines love. God is the ground of love. God is the source of love. you got to understand God before you can understand love. Oh, Tina, there's some things that we need to, to know. And there's some things we need to believe. And in knowing and believing, uh, Tina, we're, we're empowered to act. We're enabled by this very loving God to love him and to love others in his name. Since Tina's no longer with us, we'll all have to step in for her. We'll have to sit in her seat. And since John's not here with us, I'm just going to have to do the very best I can with what he's already said about love and call us back to this conversation and facing this question, what's love got to do with anything? It's got everything to do with it because God has everything to do with it. To abide in God, for God to abide in us, we've got to understand God's kind of love. So for just a few moments this morning, I, I want to talk about three things we need to know and believe. That God is 
God, that God is love and that God's love is Christ-like. And because these things are true, I believe they, they, they drive us to certain acts and postures of life. Because these things are true, that God is God and God is love and God's love is Christ-like. Because these are true and we know these things and we believe these things, I believe the most natural, normal, right way for us to approach life is just to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength and to love one another. That sounds like a good life, doesn't it? Well, let's see how it works. First, God is God. Write that down. And let's begin in verse 1. We'll go to 1 to, 1 to 6 and then 12 to 16. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now already in the world. You are of God, little children, and you have overcome them because he was in you is greater than he was in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We're of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now pick up with me in verse 12. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son as Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God. To understand love, we need to understand God. And God's one of the great questions, one of the great mysteries, and people all over have, have attempted to answer the questions, and the big ones, the big, fat, hairy questions about God. Uh, and the starting point can't be us. We, we don't begin with a blank slate in neutral territory. We don't just invite everybody together to a great chalkboard session and say, okay, what do y'all think? Let's put all our big ideas on the board. Let's brainstorm and come up with, with God. We've been doing that a long time. We've got some crazy notions, some wild ideas come out. Most of the time it's just some projection about our deepest fears and, 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 and hopeful longings. Nine times out of ten, we just create God in our own image and pop him right up there on the whiteboard. That's not how it's intended to work. We can know God simply and only because God in his great mercy wants to be known. God is God. And in his kindness, he has chosen to reveal his will and his ways. And this is good news because with that whiteboard, we foul it up every single time. And it's also good news because we can't possibly imagine how wonderful God truly is 
we'd shoot low every single last time. Brendan Manning used to come to our spiritual formation class in New Orleans and he would say, trying to define the love of God is like trying to capture a hurricane in a shrimp net. And he had served the shrimpers of Bayou Battery, Alabama as a priest. He'd lived through hurricanes in New Orleans. He knew the futility of that. We can only know the love of God because God is love and wants to be known. And he has turned to us. There are many alternatives out there that are lesser than God, that are anti-God, that are other than Christ. But Christ, Christ Jesus the Lord is the Word made flesh. God in His grace has turned to us in love. And Jesus would walk the streets of this earth and He would say to people like you and like me, if you've seen me, You've seen the Father because I am in the Father and the Father is in me. John would say, we know because we can bear witness. We, we touched and we handled and we listened to all these glorious things pertaining to the word of life. We can speak a word of God because God has revealed himself to us as the word made flesh. And John also said, and God gave us the gift of the Spirit who now resides with us. And the Spirit leads us into truth. And we can know the revelation of the Lord because God makes his revelation known. Because God doesn't love us from a distance but near, close. More real than our heartbeat. More vital than our breath. God is God. And this matters when we're trying to figure out love because this is the starting point. Not what you picked off the shelf at the bookstore. Not what you saw on a bumper sticker. Not what you dreamed up in the middle of the night. But the Word made flesh tabernacled among us. God is God. And friends, this is so beautiful. God is love. Verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who not love does not know God, for God is love. Already this morning we've been singing great Trinitarian songs. I believe, I believe, I believe. Far from being a, a dusty doctrine, it's a doctrine that dances. Dorothy Sayers said that the dogma is the drama and good theology is great drama. It's beautiful song. It's inspiring poetry. And our witness to the Trinitarian nature of God is a beautiful act of poetry. It's a dance. It's a confession that God is love. Years ago in the Athanasian Creed, they said, We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. In 1963, a bunch of old Baptists that we love and knew, they said it like this. 
There is one and only one living and true God. He is an intelligent, spiritual, and personal being, the creator, redeemer, preserver, and ruler of the universe. God is infinite in holiness and all other perfections. To him we owe the highest love, reverence, and obedience. The eternal God reveals himself to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit with distinct personal attributes, but without division of nature, essence, or being. One God, three persons. And we used to sing from the very first page of the hymnal, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. You think, man, this is great. Why are we doing this today? I'll tell you why. Because God is love. Because God is love. Chip Conyers said it like this. The Trinity means that the, both the one and the many are real because the deepest meaning of all things is relationship. This is certainly what is meant when John wrote, God is love. God is relationship and relationship requires both distinction and unity, both individuality and community. Both are real and both are at the heart of reality. God is love. When I was a kid, I heard James Weldon Johnson's musical, God's Trombones. Roy Wingwall did the music, but the sermons were from Johnson. And man, I was mesmerized at the artistry of the words of the preaching. But there was one line in it, even when I was a kid, that didn't ring true in my heart. And it happened to be the opening line where that famed preacher said, and God stepped out on space, and he looked around and said, I'm lonely, I'll make me a world. Here's the deal. God's never been lonely. Not once. God is love. And God didn't make us because God was deficient. God wasn't looking to scratch into some divine itch. God didn't want us to prop up some kind of divine ego that was wilting. God has always been okay. And it was out of a heart of ecstasy and grace. God is a giver and because God is a giver, God created. Because God is a lover, God loved. And he loved us in the being. Because God is love. God is God and God is love. And, and, and watch this and this is where it puts some meat on the bones. God's love is extremely Christ-like. Look at verse 9. In this the love of God was manifested toward us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. When we say God is love, things come to mind. And depending on the life circumstances you've had, sometimes odd things have come to mind. That's why our understanding of God and love need to be rooted in the gospel. John said God's love was manifested. It arrived, it showed up, it was on full display. Paul would say God demonstrated his love for us in this while we were yet sinners 
Christ died for us. God's love showed up. He loved us indeed as well as word, and in this he set the tone. When I was coming of age and growing up and I'd been sort of steeped in the traditions of the gospel, I sang that stuff, I colored it, I, I made crafts about it. I had wonderful old men and women help, help me learn to love Jesus. Uh, but I tell you, uh, mom and dad were, were principal in that. And then there was a guy named Cecil Randall. He was our pastor. And together with my parents, I sat down with Dr. Randall and he pulled a dime out of his pocket. And, but even in the 80s, a dime wasn't much money. But he's an old guy, and, uh, and he, he still wasn't dealing with inflation, you know. I'm saying. So he pulls out the dime, and, and he says, Matt, he says, we've been talking about Christ and about his gift and about grace and faith. He said, I want to give you a gift, and he gave me that dime. And I took the dime, and I put it in my pocket, and he said, Matt, when did that gift become yours? I said, Dr. Randall, when you gave it to me. He said, Matt, think again. I said, well, Dr. Randall's when you gave it to me and also when I took it. He said, that's it. He said, that's grace, Matt, and that's faith. That's trusting God that he meant it when he said, I loved you in this manner. That Christ did for you what you cannot do for yourself. And he, along with my parents, led me to personally trust Christ to be my Savior and my Lord. Then following Dr. Randall into our church came Jim Brannon, hard-edged, tough, muckracking kind of pastor, but with a heart as big as Texan and as good as gold. He could have a crusty exterior, but he cried when he sang about Jesus. And old Jim would stand in the pulpit and about every sixth sermon, he would say, the cross of Christ reminds you in every season of your life how much you are loved by God. He would say, I want you to look at your entire life through the lens of the cross. Because there God has spoken. There God has spoken clearly. You see, friends, God's love is Christ-like. God's love is Christ-like. And that Christ-like love sets the model for the church. He said it so clearly in verse 11. So clearly. If God so loved us, we ought to love one another. Leslie Newbigin was imagining the Gethsemane scene when he said this. Jesus rises from his knees and he calls his disciples. Rise, let's go. He says this and he goes before them to the cross. This is the pattern for leadership for the church. We honor God above all. So we bow before him and submit our lives. And we rise to serve the world by taking up the cross. 
What's love got to do with it? Everything. Everything. So friends, because of God's love, we indeed can love God. Look at verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. Because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he loved us first. We can live our lives with confidence and with hope and with courage and with freedom because we've been loved by the God that is God. And we can love him right back. And because we've been caught up in this love affair with the Lord, we are free to love each other. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. The three ideas. God is God, God is love, God's love is Christ-like. Ideas have consequences, and these are the consequences. We're to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we're to love each other in the truth. Now, if I came up to my friend Daryl, who I believe loves me, and I said, Daryl, I've got a plan. I'm, it's hard, hard, hard uh, being a pastor. And uh, being a husband is not easy. And being a parent of teenagers, real tough. Uh, they're great, but real tough. What I've always wanted to do, Daryl, is live on my own in a 10 by 10 concrete hut in the woods, and I want to race speedboats. Some friends will just give you the sugar. Total affirmation. No pushback. I think in that moment, my friend would punch me right in the mouth, because that's what they do in Katy, Texas. It's sort of the control-alt-delete for the brain. Probably wouldn't do that. But he would say, man, man. Come on, let's talk about it. Why would he do that? Because he loves me. God loves you, friend. He wants you to love him. And by his grace, he wants us to love each other in the truth. And that's life. What's love got to do with it? Everything. <laughs> Let's pray. Our good and our holy God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love demonstrated at the cross. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us to a life of joyful worship, committed discipleship. Lord, in hearing you call us to take up the cross, we pray for your spirit's strength. We can't do that in our own. But we know, Lord, that we can live our life through the Son because you've told us so. Help us, Lord, also by your Spirit to love each other as you've loved us. 
And in this, Lord, life becomes as you would have it. Lord, call us to this way and strengthen us in it. And send us forth to live it among the nations. We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Friends, would you stand as we sing? We're going to sing a hymn of commitment. Today, if you've made commitments in the privacy of your heart that you believe God would have you make publicly, we invite you to do that quickly as we sing for your good and the glory of God. Uh, today, it might be that you want to confess your faith in Christ or you might want to begin asking questions about that. Maybe God's called you to join this church. Or perhaps you're here today in a transition in life and you just need somebody to, to recognize that you're still alive and on this earth and you're human and you need help. Need somebody to pray with you. Whatever's going on in your life, we invite you to respond as the Lord leads you. Andy?